I'm Madesh Ramid, Managing Partner at Unitas Communications, and this is PR Unlost. In this episode, I sat down with Abby Els Asmar, entrepreneur and founder of Omapreneur, to discuss Imam Connect. I founded Imam Connect during the pandemic in order to answer the growing need for religious services while mosques were shut. Imam Connect is a global network of religious service providers that has changed the lives of countless individuals who didn't have or otherwise wouldn't have access to a mosque. Every day it attracts new users looking for a particular service, ranging from marriage and career counselling, Quran lessons, nikah, and so much more. Since its inception, we now have over a hundred service providers offering their expertise from around the globe, including the UK, the US, Malaysia, Canada, Australia, Germany, Pakistan, Singapore, and South Africa. This episode was done in partnership with Omopreneur, a community of over 1,800 Muslim business owners that hosts a weekly podcast and mentors entrepreneurs to help them succeed in business ventures and become leaders in their respective fields. I um, have been an entrepreneur now for almost 15 years, and I decided that it was Being an entrepreneur was a very essential part of my journey as a British Muslim growing up in London. Um, For me, it was very important to uh, create value, you know, within the community and to create products and services that benefited the community. And it's something that I like to think has been an integral part of my journey for the past 15 years. Even my my main business that I started, Unitas Communications, was about representing, you know, Muslim clients initially and telling their stories better. And of course, it's grown to be a lot bigger than that, but it was about intercultural communications. I I grew up at a time where communication between the Islamic world and the Western world was at an all-time low. We needed more communications professionals to tell that story. And that's why I started my company, Unitas Communications, and it's grown into a lot lot bigger than that. Um, But over the years, we work with a number of Muslim organizations, governments, Muslim communities around the world to tell their story better and to break down barriers. And that was very, very important to me and still has been something that has remained important to me in my life. Along the line, I've also got involved in in several other businesses and set up several initiatives to connect Muslims. I'm also the founder of something called the Concordia Forum, which is a transatlantic network that brings together senior media, political, corporate Muslims. It's a bit like the Davos of the Muslim world, and there's nothing quite like it. It's been running for about 12 years and is, is very, very high profile, but it brings a number of Muslim leaders together in order for them to build trust, to build you know, avenues to work together, uh, collaborate, uh, and most importantly, also have strategic dialogue, a space where people can connect and do things. And it's phenomenal. I mean, I don't want to talk today about Concordia Forum, but it is absolutely amazing the kind of collaborations, investments, and money that has changed hands within this network across the transatlantic bond. Mm. But today, uh, I want to talk about something that I you know, obviously started a year ago, which is uh, Imam Connect. Now, Imam Connects, essentially, during the pandemic, I was sitting at home, and the mosques were shut, and it was very difficult to access religious services, right? Like, where do you go when the mosques yeah. are shut, and if you need religious services? Mm-hmm. And I, I realize that these days you can get everything you need on your phone. There's a, literally an app for everything. Um, and you're able to, to connect with any type of service provider that you might need, from ordering food to taxis to massages to all sorts of, you know, fitness trainers to all sorts of things. And it occurred to me that why don't we have a platform like this that enables Muslims to connect to religious service providers, um, particularly at a time when mosques are shut. Um, So that got me thinking, and I started doing some research looking into 
how imams in the UK in particular operate. And actually, some of the things I found were quite shocking. You know, imams are not paid very well. They're paid ridiculously low amounts of money. Uh, they're not treated very well. Some Many have to supplement their incomes with side jobs. Um, and then on the flip side, there are many imams that are not super qualified. Um, the ones, you know, and, and that, that they don't have the professional support that they need, and they're not valued. Some of them are not valued by the community. So there were these kind of twin problems. One is that there is a lack of high-quality imams coming, and the second is that there is a lack of, that there is a serious deficit in, in what they're earning so that we're not attracting quality people. Um, so I thought, well, why not create a platform that helps the imams to market their services, but also pays them a fair wage and, and lifts the bar in terms of the quality of imams that we attract. So I thought, well, look, why don't I set up uh, an app, an internet platform that connects imams to people that need their services, a bit like a virtual mosque. Essentially, it's what a mosque does, right? So, so, that, so that's how Imam Connect started. That's amazing, mashallah. And really, I'm happy that you're sharing this story with us today because uh, this platform that you've built, as you mentioned, it really comes from a very strong need. And I think for us as a community, as an Ummah, we do have a lot of gaps that need to be filled. And this is one of those gaps that definitely needs to be filled. And I'm happy to see that. And to be honest, I actually didn't know about Imam Connect uh, until recently. Uh, I listened to a podcast that you were on. Um, I'm forgetting the other, the name right now, SubhanAllah, but I, I wish I, I did remember to give them a shout out. But you, you appeared as a guest on another podcast. I, I listened to the whole episode. And you were talking about Imam Connect and you were talking about this journey that you went through to build this. Uh, also during a period which was the pandemic, right? People needed the service and they couldn't really go out. They couldn't go in person to mosque to get the service and to get those benefits. And you, it really makes you realize, you know, these services are available, you know, for non-Muslims. They are available for other communities, but not for our community. And it's really beautiful to see, you know, brothers like yourself leading the charge on this. And, you know, when you think of developing a platform like this, it is a colossal initiative where not only do you need to build the actual technology behind the platform, but you then also need to get the users on the platform and the service providers on the platform as well. And one question that I really couldn't wait to ask you was, for yourself, how did you go about not only you know building the technology part, but then also going to attract those users, those Muslims who will use those services, and the service providers, and tell them, hey, we have a platform now. I know it's not what you're used to. I know it's online versus in person. You know, but we want you to go on this. And we want you to provide your services. What was that like? Well, the service provider piece was, you know, initially started off with reaching out to people that I know and trust and have worked with over the years in the community. You know, I think it was very important for people to know who's behind this, who's, what's, what's this person's intention? Are they sectarian? Do they have an agenda? And Alhamdulillah, given my personal background and, and long history in the Muslim community, I was able to persuade people that we don't have a sectarian agenda and that we're not here to do anything else other than help the imams and the service users. So that was very important initially. And then beyond that, of course, I think the key part for the service providers was that they're making more money now. Many of them are making more money now than they have ever made, you know? And this is really important because we have to pay our imams, our counselors, our hakeems well. Right? We have to make sure that they are treated well so that more talent is attracted into that industry. So that was very important in persuading them because the numbers speak for themselves. Right? If someone is earning you know, $12,000 12, $12, a year being an imam right, and hardly supplementing their income, whereas you know, they can earn that much almost in a month or two on our platform if they market themselves well, 
uh, and they're providing, they're helping more people, their message is reaching out, you know, they're, they're making the world a better place and they're serving your mother, right? So that was an important selling point. I think beyond that, of course, uh, during the pandemic, there was a natural need um, for imams to find alternative ways to reach out to practitioners. We have, you know, in our community, we have a lot of online platforms like talks, you know, seminars, and there's so much of this. But where do you go if you actually need an imam, right? You know, like, how do you get an imam? In terms of the users, we found that there, were, there's a, there was a dire need for Muslim counseling, religious counseling, and in particular, marriage counseling, right? Massive demand. People didn't know where to go. Traditional counseling wasn't working. And the other big thing we found was that there is a growing, you know, if you like, Muslim consumer base in the UK and the US who, for whatever reason, are not regular mosque scholars. And this is a really interesting challenge, right? So, for instance, I think the last research showed that only 12% of British Muslims go to a mosque regularly, which means for Jummah, right? Like, you know, so there's 88% Muslims out there that are not connected to their local mosque and whatever, or, or don't go that often, right? So what do these people do when they need an imam? Because you know what? There are times in your life where you might not be so practicing, you might not, but you might, you might need an imam for a birth or a death or a marriage, whatever. So how do you, you know, connect back to that service? So I thought to myself, we need to build something for those people so that they can feel included in the community because I don't want to get into this whole debate about mosques and how effective they are, but I think a lot of your listeners will know that uh, there are some mosques that are absolutely fantastic and there are some mosques that aren't particularly well run and that's the same in all religious communities, right? But some mosques are absolutely terrible at outreach, you know, I haven't figured that out and I still have a lot to learn. So, so this is a way of connecting imams and mosques actually, we have mosques on the platform so you can actually book services from a local mosque using our platform to to reach out to a whole new audience and now this audience what are they concerned about well a lot of people are concerned about quality well how do you measure quality well every single imam is rated you know on our app and we we make sure that there's a mandatory qualification verification check for everybody so if you say you've studied somewhere you better have the documentation to prove it the second thing people are concerned about is safety right like how do i know someone i'm dealing with you know, it doesn't have a, a weird past, right? Um, or isn't capable of harming someone. Well, we also insist um, on uh, background checks, right? And police record checks on the country. And we ask for that information upfront. And of course, the third thing is standards and quality of service. We have a, 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 a code of conduct that both the user and the imam need to sign up to. And we are very, very strict on matters of, of user conduct if somebody you know, if, if a service isn't delivered on time, you know, that doesn't work. Last but not least, every single user gets to rate the imam. So there's a rating system. People know who they're dealing with. So just like any other service, things are being uh, mitigated in that sense. So that's, that attracts the users, right? Of course, we did a lot of uh, advertising in the beginning. We sponsored the Maghrib Adhan for Ramadan on Islam Channel. We, we had a lot of publicity on, we had a recent BBC News on most of the major Muslim media covered us. I think, I think the um, podcast you were probably thinking about was Muslim Matters. Yes. But, um, you know, um, so I think a lot of, you know, we, we got a lot of coverage, you know, we came under scrutiny, which is good, you know, because we have, we're genuinely out here trying to provide a, a service. And I think that helped. And Alhamdulillah, our numbers have consistently risen. 
Alhamdulillah, I mean, well, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to grant you success on this journey and barakah, inshallah. And right now with uh, with Amiyam Connect and what you're doing, you're also still leading Unitask Communications, right? So you're doing, you're still doing a lot, mashallah, and juggling a lot of different um, projects. What for you has been maybe the, the biggest strategy or maybe the, the best advice that you can give to someone else listening to this who would like to work on multiple projects as well, who wants to go and build a business, but maybe they also already have a career um, and they're not sure how to juggle everything. You're someone who actually is managing all of those things at once. How do you do it? What is your secret? <laughs> well, look, I think uh, intentionality is very important. You know, you have to remember why you're doing it, right? So when I set up Unitas Communication, this idea of helping to communicate the Islamic world and Muslim communities and our stories to the wider public is what kept me going, right? Uh, it was a mission, right? And, you know, we had our ups and downs. And Alhamdulillah, we just kept at it because we kept reminding ourselves why we're doing it. And, and the other thing is that you've just got to, once you've set that intentionality, you just have to go for it. You just have to do it, right? And of course, everything I've done in, in the sense of, of the businesses that I've been involved in were businesses that really nobody had really tried to do before. Like I had a lot of naysayers, you know, in, in my comms firm. Nobody had tried to target, you know, the Islamic world in the way I had. People didn't think it was a market. You know, they, they didn't believe that Muslims would pay for this. I didn't maybe believe Muslims would pay for this. And, and often they didn't, but then they did, right? Um, but, you know, it's going to be, if you're trying to grow a business targeting religious communities, that's outside the traditional needs of, you know, halal food and whatever. Um, you know, you, you're going to have to be obviously creative, but trust your instincts and just go for it. Even with Imam Connect, like nobody had ever attempted anything like this before, you know, uh, which was surprising for me. Um, and I saw that, um, you know, as something, as a fundamentally, as an opportunity to do good. Every single day, people are booking Quran lessons, marriage counseling, nikahs. And for me, the motivation to be part of that transaction, not from a monetary sense, but from a spiritual sense is what keeps me going. Mm, that's beautiful, mashallah. I really love that. And I think that's ultimately what drives our Muslim entrepreneur is when they can keep in mind the intention and the impact behind the business that they're building. And you very much employed an innovative strategy with Imam Connect. You've created something, as you mentioned, that hasn't been done before with your businesses. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, this is a challenge, right? What is innovative strategy anyway? And how do I innovate within my business? And how can I take something maybe that already exists and make it better? This is a challenge that many entrepreneurs face. And for you, you know, creating an innovative business uh, such as Imam Connect, what were the biggest lessons learned along the way when it comes specifically to strategy? Was there something that stood out for you on this journey? Good question. Well, I, first of all, was very keen to have the right team and the right advisors, right? So um, our uh, advisory council has, you know, the head of public policy at PayPal globally, right? The head of engineering at Deliveroo, the head of marketing for IKEA, you know, we have, you know, um, Muslim marriage counselors on there and venture capitalists on there. Those all Muslim, all passionate and, and all people that believed in what we're trying to do. So that was very helpful. Although they didn't necessarily have experience individually or collectively uh, in what I was attempting to do, their traditional experience was very helpful. Secondly, the team that I built initially around myself included people with extremely good religious base and knowledge, right? So one of the guys I work with 
um, I'm very fortunate to work with, you know, um, ran a business in Malaysia, you know, gave it up and then studied religion for like eight years, you know, um, and then wanted to be, do something entrepreneurial and helpful. And I was so lucky that my, our paths crossed. Uh, and when they did cross, I, he was my first hire, right? Um, and then I have now built, you know, hired a, a good team based on talent. Not all of them are Muslim, right? So ahead of our marketing is not Muslim, right? But is an incredibly talented person who understands and drives the vision behind it. So, so first of all, a good team, right? And that requires the ability to build trust with people, the ability, the ability to work with people. You know, these are all as, as, aspects of trying to, to pursue the prophetic example of being Alameen, right? Mm -hmm. If you're good with people, people will be good with you, and they will work with you, and they will trust you, right? So that's a fundamental part of the strategy is building a good team. Then, of course, um, the, important, the other important thing was to get feedback from users straight away. So we ran, we can, we, I'm obsessed with focus groups, right? So we ran user focus groups straight away, got a lot of feedback, refined our product, then we ran um, uh, focus groups with service providers, got feedback. Um, I, I'm very fortunate to be good friends with another person who's a, a management consultant who, whose entire job, he wasn't involved in operations at all, has been up until now looking at strategy, right? Fitting the strategy, getting the metrics and the data, figuring out what's working, what isn't working. So that was an important thing for me to do was to have somebody on the team from the beginning who was entirely just doing that. He was doing it part time, but all he was doing is that. And I, and I talked to him every week or almost every other week to, to check in on that. So having somebody who's looking at strategy alongside you, um, having a good team, getting feedback from your users uh, and your service providers, that's how you build uh, an evolving strategy. I think that's really the best answer that we could get for a question like this, really, because ultimately what it does come down to is that to build anything great, you need to bring great minds together. Uh, it's very difficult to build something great on your own. And even when you think of um, um, one of the great scientists, Isaac Newton, he says, I, whatever I have built was thanks to standing on the shoulders of giants. Now, he said it in a bit of a different way. I don't remember quote, word for word, but essentially what he meant by that was that he used the knowledge of previous great scientists and essentially just built on that, right? He was standing on the shoulders of giants. And so even when you think of the great innovators in history, all of them had mentors, all of them had advisors, people that they could turn to, people that they could, partners that they could consult. And so it really is very difficult for us to build something on our own. And I think within entrepreneurship, the uh, solopreneur culture is, is slightly glamorized, right? You know, building something on your own and relying on yourself. And while, of course, initially it is important for you to be able to get started on your own, it is always also very important for you to start finding the right team and the right people that will help you elevate your business and really take it to the next level. No, I, I completely agree with, with that. I completely agree with what you just said. I mean, yeah, there, you're right. The solopreneur thing is, and, and do you know what? It's interesting because often people uh, end up doing their own thing out of this desire to be independent of others. And I get that, right? But, but, that, but you know, one is never truly independent, right? Businesses are built on customers, on relationships and suppliers, right? So the ability to actually work with other people is absolutely fundamental, right? Um, and if you're not able to do that in your, you know, in your regular life, the chances are you probably won't be able to do that in any business that you uh, start, unless you really work on it. Of course, people change. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's very important. 
Hundred percent. Well, for you, brother, do you feel like you always had that, you know, that strain of entrepreneurship, that DNA strand of entrepreneurship within you, and you just felt like you were always pulled to create your own thing, or was it, you know, a desire to create something that pulled you? I mean, I want to know, you know, in terms of your journey and your career, you've had a, an illustrious career, mashallah, and now you're gravitating towards building your own businesses. Is this something that came naturally to you, or do you feel like? it was a work in progress. I mean, what was that journey like for you gravitating towards entrepreneurship? Hmm. Well, you know, I had been involved in uh, Muslim communities from a very young time, young age, right? So I uh, helped set up the first ever Ramadan radio in East London where I was a presenter on it. I used to do community organizing a lot, you know, uh, trips and even protests and things like that, right? And actually that activity is entrepreneurial. Right, because what you're doing is you're bringing different people together. You're not making money from it, but you're bringing groups of people together to do something different, to stand out, right, and to uh, you know bring your networks together and make a difference, right. So I guess in a way I was always entrepreneurial because I chose to do hard things, right. I chose to to serve the community at a time of rising Islamophobia. I chose to think about various things that can help and. Honestly, as I began to do these things from a very young age, and I, you know, I look at my life as two phases when I was an activist and, and what I am now. And when I look at that phase where I was an activist doing lots of different things, it involved taking lots of risks, it involved bringing communities together, but it involved strong intentionality, right? And the things that were always successful were the ones that had a clear, not just intentionality, but a clear purpose. And I like to think a good intention. Right, you know, but only Allah knows at the end of the day, right? But, um, but I think the thing is that um, that was always present in me from the time I was leading my Islamic society at school. You know, you know, when I say school, I mean like high school, right? You know, um, and then so organizing, bringing people together were key skill sets that I think I carried into my my business life. Now, in terms of whether I necessarily wanted to, well, I started life in the media, right? Honestly, I was fascinated in my original business by how agendas and narratives are formed, right? And I realized that it's normally a partnership between the media, politics, and the corporate world, and it's not straightforward. There's no one answer. So I got interested in strategic communications. I got interested in, in, in lobbying and PR. And I applied to a bunch of internships, actually, and got rejected by each one. And I was like, damn, I'm going to do my own. So here we are. 15 years later. Amazing, mashallah. How, how life works and where it takes us, right? Um, so I want to ask you a question. What is a common myth about entrepreneurship that you, uh, you would like to debunk based on your experience and your journey so far? That you need loads of money to start. I think a lot of people are obsessed with, you know, raising money, um, you know, or having, you know, a lot of money or having a safety net. I think that's the thing that stops a lot of people. You know, I had no safety net when I started. Like, I, it was this was going to succeed or it wasn't, right? And I think you need that hunger to keep you going, right? So, you know, of course, whilst you should, no one should put their livelihood, you know, their, their lives at risk in the sense of food and things like that, but you don't need a massive, you know, a safety net or a massive pool of savings in the bank to get started on things. Often, you just need to do it. Secondly, I need to give up everything else to do this well that's not true right i this is my 
fourth, fifth business that is consecutively running alongside other interests that I have. I, I think it's perfectly possible for someone to be in a full-time job and to start something. You just start slow, right? So you don't need to do everything at once. Nothing needs to be perfect. I think people strive for perfection in business. Uh, of course, don't make silly mistakes. Certain things do need to be perfect, especially if it's a product that's going out. But at the same time, you know, never in your life is everything going to line up. You know, you're not, it's not going to happen. You know, some people think, well, I need to get married first. Maybe I need to have kids. Oh, no, now that I have kids, maybe I shouldn't do it until they're older and I have more savings. Like, we're always looking for reasons not to do something, right? So I think that it's important to realize there's never a perfect time. Mm -hmm. So true. So, so true. I, I love that, Michelle. Really, really amazing advice here. And, you know, it's subhanAllah, because when you find, when you look for a reason not to get started, you will find it, right? You will, you will always, always find one. But the truth is there is never a perfect time, right? The perfect time is the time that you decide you want to do it and you make it into the perfect time, you know, despite the circumstances and whatever else is happening. Um, it's, it is very rare for us in life at any point in time to say, you know what, I am in a perfect place to start a new business or to, you know, take up a new uh, career. You know, there, there will always be reasons not to. But those moments where we decide to move forward despite the challenges or the, or the obstacles are what end up, you know, being those life defining moments where we look back and we, really, we just thank ourselves that we made the leap. We, we made that decision. We pushed forward. Alhamdulillah. So this is a, an interesting discussion that I'm loving right now, and I'm going to dive deeper into entrepreneurship with you. What would you say is the most important skill to develop as an entrepreneur? If, you know, there's an entrepreneur listening to this, you know, what should, what is the skill that they should really be working on um, so that they could hopefully increase their chances of success in business? Well, you know, I was going to say, I mean, there are certain obvious things, you know, learning how to write a credible business plan, you know, uh, understanding some basic math, right? Mm. You know, I mean, but you know, these are things you can pick up. I would say the ability to get on with people, like really, because all these things you can hire people or they can teach you if they like you, right? You know, if they trust you, right? All the skills you need, you can either hire or get mentors for, or get help for. And, you know, to be honest with you, you know, with the high levels of education in the world today, you can reach a basic level of proficiency in almost anything, right? Um, but what I think is important is to learn to work with people and to share the credit, right? Because the thing is, it's amazing how much you can get done if you don't care who takes the credit, right? Do, do not, you know, successful entrepreneurship isn't necessarily about centering yourself in the middle of every story. Right? It's about centering your team, it's about centering your product, it's about centering your customer and, and talking about the value. So all of this relies on your ability to build networks and get on with people. Right. So you know, people this, you know, building networks is a buzzword, right? I believe in building networks, but I believe more in building trust. You know, trust is the ability to be able to say to somebody that, hey, I need a bridging loan, can you sort it out straight away? Hey, I need you to work throughout the night on this, please do it. That's trust. You know, networks can be quite shallow, you know, they can be quite, trans, you know, very immediately transactional. What you need to build is real trust that people can, can work with. Um, and that, I think, is the key to, to success. I completely agree. And honestly, when I asked that question, in my mind, I had the same thing. And within the same lines, you know, communication and the ability to effectively communicate your ideas 
and the ability to inspire and motivate through communication and build trust through communication, right? You know, communicating with your team, communicating with potential partners, with your advisors, with mentors, and with each one of those people, the, the communication that you will have is slightly different. And how do you, you know, tailor your communication based on who you're speaking to and the outcome that you'd like to receive from this conversation. And it really also ties into what we discussed previously, which is that if there's one thing that you really need for your business and to innovate within your business, it's to have the right team, right? And to conduct those focus groups and to conduct market research and all of this requires effective communication. So I'm going to ask you one more uh, before we dive into some audience Q&A, inshallah. We do have some, uh, some questions from the audience here that I, I'm excited to uh, bring up. But before we do, I do want to ask you because one thing that does shine from what I've seen you uh, work on in terms of your projects with Imam Connect and uh, also with Unitas Communications is your ability to get in touch with the right people. Right. So even with Imam Connect, you mentioned you had a, a panel of advisors that ranged from, you know, senior senior execs within PayPal and IKEA uh, or with Unitas Communications working on projects uh, for the NFL, uh, United Nations, uh, Amnesty Internationals. These are all amazing organizations. So there's clearly a skill here of getting in touch with the right people that I want to dive into. And I'm sure my listeners are curious as well. They're like, how did you do that? So so can you can you shed some light on that a little bit for us? Hard work. <laughs> Look, I think you're um, often in life, your reputation precedes you. You want to be in a position where you are, of course, there is networking, there's building trust, all of that is important. But fundamentally, you want to be in a position where people recognize your work for its excellence and come to you, right? You know, and alhamdulillah, we worked harder than others. Our reputation grew. People wanted to work with us. And alhamdulillah, we're in a position now where we're turning away work all the time because the, the we're just so busy, right? And the, the business I'm in is obviously consulting and we can only grow as quickly as the team that we have, you know, because it's a human, it's not a, it's not, we're not, it's not about building products, it's about having the right people to deliver the, the job. And we have a fantastic team, a very large team, but ultimately you have to work hard and take pride in your work and, 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 and you know, work on, on excellence, right? And we were always, we were able to, to solve really complex reputational crisis management issues for clients for which they forever remain grateful. You know, um, we were able to, to promote and, and fix certain things that I think other people didn't bring that level of understanding to. So we developed a reputation for not only being good at what we do, but also being effective and easy to work with. And I like to think that's why the business has grown and more and more people have wanted to work with us over the years and we've been handled up very very lucky as you say we work for the three largest intergovernmental bodies in the world the united nations the oic the arab league the united nations world tourism organization and many 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 others um, and so you know one leads to the other and you know the first one's always difficult right i remember the very first one was always difficult that's a story maybe i'll tell another day but once we got the first one the second one came easily and then people see the passion and the work and it speaks for itself. Mm, I love that, well, Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a beautiful answer. Um, and I hope that whoever's listening to this is taking notes uh, because it is a very important point that you're making. And even for me, uh, with an entrepreneur, one thing I've noticed is that, you know, the more that we continue to try to kind of raise the bar within the organization, the more people are actually reaching out to us 
to try to you know offer their assistance on our mission which is always beautiful to see mashallah um so one question that i ask every single guest that comes on this podcast one of my favorites and i'll ask it to you too is if you could go back and give your 18 year old self you know as a young um with Dasar Ahmed, you know, just getting started in his career or his business ideas, you give him one piece of advice that he could hold on to, almost like a mantra, right? That he, he can remember throughout his journey. What would that one, you know, one piece of advice be? What would that one, um, you know, word or mantra be for you? Don't be afraid. Keep going. Okay. Don't be afraid. And why, why, did, why did you pick that one specifically? Don't be afraid. Because I think fear or failure is something that holds a lot of people back and sometimes holds me back too. You know, the idea that, you know, is this a good idea? You know, nobody's done it before. Is it going to work? You know, I'm afraid traditional investors won't invest in my product. You know, I'm afraid that traditional money people don't like it. You know, I went to people with the idea of Unitas Communications to raise money initially, right? And they just didn't get it. And at that point, I could have easily given up, but they didn't get it because nobody had done it. You know, you got to understand a lot of the people you talk to, if you're on, if you're an ummapreneur and trying to create something unique that at, that requires, um, you know, some level of understanding in the community, a lot of traditional investors won't get that. And not only would they not get it, they won't care, right? So it's very important to not give up um, and to keep pursuing that. Mm, I love that, mashallah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, brother. And on to some audience questions. Um, how important is a background check and degree verification uh, for appointing an imam? So this is for your, for your uh, platform, I think. Uh, so do you guys do background checks? Um, I know yeah, yeah, it it's, yeah, it's very uh, important to us to do that, right? Um, okay. Because um, ultimately, um, people want to, because it's something that's driven by consumer demand. Not obviously, not all consumers care about those things, right? Not all um, people that require services care about those things, but we find that that's very important. Um, and of course, then we list the person's um, you know, uh, qualifications, and then it's up to the users to decide whether they want to work with someone with less qualifications or more qualifications, or they're more interested in, you know, their rating or whatever. But of course, from a safety perspective, it's very important. So for instance, anybody that works with children has to have the highest level of security clearance. Mm. Awesome. So I love that. So you, you, so this is all, all the service providers that are, that are on Imam Connect essentially have all been vetted, which is amazing, mashallah. So Muslims can go on the platform and they know that these people, these providers have been vetted. It's not just they've created a profile and they're automatically up there. Um, so definitely go and check that out. Um, if you are listening to this episode, make sure to go and check out Imam Connect. One more question uh, from our Facebook audience. So what would Mudassar attribute the success of Imam Connect with? So what would you credit for the success of Imam Connect at this point in time? I think that there are obviously a number of things, a great team, the right idea at the right time, the launch during a pandemic, people can access mosques, you know, a drive to, to, to serve people. But, you know, I think that the other thing that was very important to the success of um, Imam Connect was, was quite simply this idea that we had, you know, nobody had ever done anything like this before. And it's completely non-sectarian. So if it was ethnic-based or jamaat-based or sectarian, I think we might have run into problems. But we have this vision for Umrah that is, you know, not sectarian, 
right? That is that doesn't divide people up into the type of Muslim they are, and most importantly, is not judgmental. Mm. You know, um, and because it's not judgmental, um, we attract people to it and 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 help them figure out questions related to their being. You know, which is the way to do it. I love that, mashallah. That's really, really beautiful that um, you guys adopt that, you know, that vision and, and that value within your business. And I think it's so important for us to see more businesses adopting this at a time where we need more cohesiveness than division, right? We need to continue to remain together. We need to continue to stick together at a time where, you know, there's so much division happening. There's always, you know, subhanAllah, we're, we're all constantly being, um, you know, there's this kind of technique or the strategy in uh, in war or in conquering a land right that you divide and conquer right you divide and conquer right so you cannot conquer unified people but you can conquer divided people and i think really being unified as a muslim ummah is one thing that we need to work on um we got one more here so i asked a similar question previously but let's see if you uh have a different answer for this one if mudassar had one piece of advice to someone just starting out what would it be taking in regards to a faith-based service providing platform so specifically if someone wants to build a platform uh, similar to Imam Connect, faith-based, mm. what's one piece of advice that you can provide? I would say uh, from the very outset, uh, make sure that you have, are targeting uh, a broad audience. Yeah, mm. Don't narrow your audience on the basis of ethnicity, sect, or anything else. Right? Very important to, to live the values that you espouse. You know? mm. I think, and I think that's easier said than done, because I recognize that so much of the, quite often the religious energy comes from you know being part of a jamaat or something i get it right but and but it's important to step outside of that and be inclusive as well yeah definitely definitely well i really like that piece of advice mashallah and we're going to take one last one um from the audience so knowing what you know now is there anything you would have done differently when you were first starting out maybe i would have been kinder to myself I would have looked after my health more, <laughs> you know, be more patient, you know. Um, you know, I think that I uh, push myself quite hard. Um, and, you know, I think the one piece of advice I have is that, you know, always remember that to, 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 to keep your health. You know, I'm fine, alhamdulillah, you know, but, you know, it's important to check in about your health and, and um, you know, regularly work out and do things like that because this journey can be quite stressful. Um, and that's the one way to really stay on top of it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of PR Unmasked with me, Mudassar Ahmed. I hope you learned something valuable in this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Stay tuned.